Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will continue in our series going through the book of Colossians. You can follow along with this message by opening up your Bible or your Bible app to Colossians chapter 4. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. We continue our survey of Colossians called Living Changed Lives. We've been in it all summer. Do you know how your life has changed? Could you, could you articulate it for people if you said, here's what I was before, here's what I am now. I may not be what I ought to be. But I'm not what I used to be, and I'm not what I'm going to be. So, Today's message is entitled, New Speech. Theme verse, take out your message guide, and your outline is in the first two panels. There's a cross-reference. Cross-reference just means it's not from the main text, If you see C slash R, that means it's cross-reference. It means it's the same principle or part of the principle from another location, from another passage. And this is also written by Paul, but it's in Ephesians chapter 4, first part of 15. That's what the little A means. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Now, the passage that I deal with today is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And it continues the discussion of of becoming a new person. And you became a new person as a result of a new relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, you've been changed. Paul addressed new life, at least that's what the title I put on it, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, and then new clothes, what we dress ourselves in Christ, at Colossians 3, 12 through 17, and then new households result from relationship with Christ, and we dealt with Husbands and wives, parents and children, we dealt with employment, which literally was masters and slaves in that passage, but it applied to employment today, I think, best. And then he moves to new speech in today's passage. There's books for sale, great devotional book, 30 chapters, just on Colossians chapter 3. If you're looking for some kind of devotion to work through, you can work through this one chapter a day. Some folks I know are working through it as couples, and they sell it in the back. Colossians 3 is a, is a great chapter. It's full of life-changing truth. And I urge you, again, keep reading through Colossians. If you haven't yet, read it, read it, read it, just to really understand, to grasp the truth that's contained therein. As we begin, ask yourself this question. Does my speech, whose speech? Yours. Does my speech, what I say, how I say it, 
reveal a changed life in Jesus Christ? Does your speech reveal change? Because new speech includes at least two things. From this passage, two things. The first is talking with God. When we encounter Jesus by faith, we receive the Holy Spirit. What's that called? Yeah, salvation. But when the Spirit comes in, what happens? Transformation starts. What do we call it? John chapter 3. What do we call it? You're born again. When the Spirit enters, you're given new birth. You're born again. And at that point, you begin praying. You begin speaking directly to our Heavenly Father. And not only that, you're compelled to communicate with God. Who's fallen in love before in here? Okay, did anything happen in you? No, I'm waiting. Yeah, right there. (laughs) Did it change the look on your face? Did it change the words you spoke? Did it put a spring in your step? Oh, yeah. He caught up with me on that one. (laughs) See, here's the point. We cannot be born again. We can't be invaded, flooded by the Holy Spirit without being changed. And that change cannot be hidden. It will show on your face, in your life, and yes, in your words. When you fall in love, were you suddenly compelled to talk to this person? that had become so dear to you. You can't keep it in, can you? That's a little bit of what being born again feels like. Something new has occurred. There's a different dimension in me, and I got to talk to the one that put it in me. Even before we're truly born again, If you grew up in church or you grew up in the South, almost interchangeable. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying that's a good thing, but even before we're truly born again or wherever you are, we we likely threw up some request to God. Is that fair? Particularly when you were in a, as my mother would have said, when you're in a mess, when you're in a desperate situation, you throw up some request to God. You didn't really expect an answer, but you just, you had nowhere else to turn. But after receiving the Spirit of God, our prayers became a two-way communication with God hearing because you're His child. He wants to hear what you have to say. And He responds. Now, some of you, I may have, I've been saying this for a good while, but it may be confusing some of you. Gene Beckner pointed out to me, because you may be thinking when I say this, that it only means that you hear God speak in words in a stained glass voice. 
It might be that. I don't know about the stained glass, but it, but it might be God speaks to you directly in words. It might be God speaks to you in impressions, in images, in circumstances, in visions, in dreams, in colors, in scenes. You hear me on this? So you may fit in one of those ways. And you may have been hearing me talk and think, well, God doesn't talk to me because I don't hear words. Well, do you have impressions from him? Do you know where he's leading you? Does he show you images and scenes? Is this making sense to you? That's a communication from God as well. It's circular. It's two ways. Why would God speak to all of us in the same way? None of us are the same. So God speaks to you in a way that reaches all the way to your soul. And sometimes he changes it over time. Sometimes it begins with impressions. It ends up being direct statements. Because the way our communication develops with people we know well, right? When you start, you know... Leanne and I don't, you don't, we don't, we've been together over 30 years, so you don't, you don't always have to have a long explanation. You know what I'm saying? It can be just a look, a shine in the eyes, you know, it can be body posture, it can be a lot of things, and you, you read it because we know each other, we're, we're intimate, we're close to each other, we see, we gather the message. Does that make sense? Well, why would God be limited in modes of communication with you? He's not. Just as conversations between friends. See, if I recorded your conversation with a given person, a friend, acquaintance, and listened to them, I could tell from that the level of your friendship. We don't even communicate with our friends in the same way. Isn't that right? The ones you know really well and you're close to, you can communicate kind of in shorthand and, you know, a few, just a few words are loaded with meaning. And you talk about much more serious things. You're much more vulnerable. You're much more open. Well, the same holds true of our prayers. If someone taped your conversations with God and played them back, they would reveal the strength the intimacy, the closeness, the depth of your connection to God through Jesus Christ. So based on your prayers, how connected to Christ are you? Several elements of prayer in this passage. The first is persistence. If you have this book that, that we sell, it's on 951, page 951. This is the New Living. And he begins at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. In other words, keep on. Continue in it. Persevere in prayer. Don't give up when the answers are delayed. God's delays don't necessarily mean God's denial. As we persist in prayer, 
Some of the old timers would say, and we pray through. I'm going to just pray through this. As we persist in prayer, do we convince God to do something? As we persist, our hearts are reshaped and our hearts are prepared for the answer God will give. Sometimes you're not ready to hear the answer. And so he has to shape your soul, strengthen your relationship, because he's, he's perfecting you. And there's two parables, Luke 11, 5 through 10, Luke 18, 1 through 8, that talk about just persevere, keep going back, keep knocking on the door, keep calling, keep crying out. And it says God will answer. See, returning to God repeatedly is a display of faith. So when you keep going back, you keep saying the same thing. What you're telling to God, telling God is, I know you have the power to do something about this. I know you can change these circumstances when they're beyond my control. I know you can heal this disease when the doctor's given up already. I know you can transform my life or you can transform the life of someone I love that's going in the wrong direction, but you can do it and I can't. That's what a repeated prayer says. Sometimes people say, well, repeating a prayer is a lack of faith. Oh, no, no, no. Repeating prayer is a demonstration of faith. Look at this verse. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Well, understand what this means, pray in the Spirit. Can you pray without the Spirit? Can you? No. It's the Spirit of God that links you to God. Human prayer doesn't leave the room. Just throwing up a human cry is only heard as long as it's audible. The Spirit is the one that makes the connection between us and God through Jesus Christ. Now, what does this mean? Pray all the t- at all times on every occasion. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing or don't stop praying. Does that mean to keep mumbling prayers all day long? Does it? What do you think? No, that's not what it means. It, it means to keep the channel open. It means to remain permanently in the presence of God. It means keeping a God consciousness, a God awareness, so that everything that you encounter, everything that you become aware of, you reflect on in relationship to him. You you know what I'm talking about? You have someone close to you. Doesn't matter whatever you have happen to you, it relates to him, doesn't it? Okay, what about God being in that role? When the good things happen, I say, God, thank you for this. 
when the bad things happen, I say, God, what are you trying to do in me through this? How are you shaping my character through this? But we stay connected to him all the time. See, the true object of prayer isn't to receive what I want. It's to want what I receive. The true object of prayer isn't to make my self-centered requests and have them answered. Rather, it's, it's in the process to have my will aligned with his. And his desires replace mine. So here's a question. Do I, which means do you, do I want what God wants or what I want for me? Not always the same thing, are they? Another element of prayer is is perspective. There in verse 2. The latter part. With an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray with an alert mind and a thankful heart. See, true prayer involves staying alert, remaining aware, being observant. So that I'll know what to pray. Vague, general, non-specific prayers are difficult for God to answer. And they're impossible for us to recognize when he has answered them. So even though God may be answering prayers, we haven't articulated it clearly enough to recognize, okay, God answered it, which deepens our faith. Strengthens our trust. What are you praying for right now? If you say, well, nothing. You're not looking around. What are you seeing that needs prayer? What are you aware of? What specific needs in your family? In our culture? In our country? In this world? When you look around, do you see anything to pray about? I mean, we're seeing a deeper divide in our culture than I remember. Because we're dividing on almost every issue. Some of it's racial in nature. Others of it is, 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 is moral in nature. It's biblical in nature. It's faith in nature. And, and, the, and the divide is growing deeper and deeper. What about in your family? Anyone in your family need to know Christ? need their life turned in a different direction. And you've tried and you can't do it. No, you can't do it, but God can. How much are you praying? How desperate are you? Now, here's what I think. 
Which if I say I think it, what's that mean, Daniel? Not much. It may not be right. It may not be right, huh? Exactly. I think we don't pray much because we don't have this perspective. I think sometimes we get burdened, right? Do you ever get burdened? Anybody ever get burdened? But what do we do with a burden? Watch something on television. Drink something, take a pill. Try to divert our attention because we don't want this heavy feeling, right? What if that heavy feeling is exactly what God wants us to have? Jesus said with, with much wisdom or much insight, there's much sorrow. And yet we want to shift our focus, don't we? I, can, I, don't, I mean, I can't, don't want to feel down. I got to do something that, so I don't feel down. I got to buy something. I got to drink something. I got to swallow something. I got to go do something to divert myself from this burden that might be God-given. Am I okay so far? Here's why I think that. Jesus said, now I'm going away, but I'm leaving somebody here for you, and his name is Comforter, Counselor. Advocate. But see, if I can find something to entertain me, something to distract me, something to make me laugh again, I'm not going to pray. Sometimes we need a burden from God to pray through. Is this fair? And yet we run away from Him, like saying, This is, must be wrong. Hmm. Old timers. Old preachers years ago, centuries, centuries ago, used to, used to talk commonly of the dark night of the soul. Well, the burden seemed almost unbearable, but they knew they had to get on their faces because they didn't have a pharmacy to help them or a TV show. Or... Now, here's why I think I might be on to something. Because the very people that entertain us and distract us from these kinds of burdens are the highest paid people in our culture. It's amazing to me. Somebody says, oh, no, no, I'm, not, I'm holding out. I'm not signing that contract. I'm only making $10 million to catch the football. <laughs> but that's us, see. That's us, that we value distraction and entertainment so much that those are the ones we're rewarding more than any other segment of our culture. Is that fair? Am I still all right, Daniel? What do you think? Okay. Another part of having a proper perspective is thankfulness for what God has given us. See, thankfulness turns our focus from personal desires, wishes, and wants to the abundance of God's blessings on our lives. Have you noticed how when you spend a little time counting your blessings... You find out you need less. That ever happened to anybody? When you, you exercise some appreciation, suddenly your list of what you want, it shrinks. 
And God's the only one that can meet those needs because those are really spiritual needs. They're not physical needs. Now, we should pray for our needs. God cares about our needs. But here's the, here's the hitch. When we, we pray for what our real needs are, then we trust God with it. And what happens is once we've really trusted God, then we get flooded with peace. Then, see, once, once, once everything I've got to have gets communicated to God and set aside to let him respond, then I can concentrate on the needs that are on his heart. Well, God has needs on his heart? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And sometimes he's just waiting to see will we pray. See, you, you can ask the Holy Spirit what he is praying for you. Do you know that? And, and, and you can say, and what are you praying for this world according to God's will? That's what Romans 8, 26 and 27 says. It says that the Spirit intercedes for us, but the Spirit knows the mind of God and the Spirit intercedes for us in accordance with the will of God. So don't you think it would make sense that we're praying the same thing the Spirit's praying for us? Does that make sense? Okay, then why not ask the Spirit what He's praying for you? Ask Him right now. What are you praying for me? And the Spirit might just tell you right now what God wants for you. And you might be surprised that it is not at all what you thought. Ask Him. Keep asking. What do you want for me? What are you praying for me? When a prayer is offered that's in accordance with God's will, is it answered? Is it? How often? You don't believe that. No, no, I don't hear any passion in that answer. Come on, Faye, you got any passion about that all right, if you pray a prayer that's in accordance with God's will, what's he going to do with it? How often? Y'all believe faith? All the time. Every time. No exceptions. So it makes a little sense that we would discover what it is he wants, wouldn't it? And that's what we pray. He doesn't really care whether I can fit in next year's bathing suit. <laughs> but there are some things that are heavy on the heart of God. And we should want to pray them back to him and help carry that burden. Because he involves us in this process by invitation. The third element of prayer in this passage is purpose. Colossians 4.3. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about this mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. Paul's asking for the people to pray that he'll be given opportunities to proclaim the gospel. 
Now, remember where Paul is in prison. He's in Rome, in prison. But if you were in in prison in Rome or Greenville, what would you be praying? To get out. Do you see that anywhere in in that passage? Because he knows he's innocent. He's not asking for his own forgiveness or his release. He's saying, let me do your work. And it's irrelevant where he is. In fact, while Paul was in prison, he wrote at least four letters in the New Testament that we have books of the Bible. It's Philemon, Thessalonians, uh, I think Ephesians and Colossians. Um, Maybe, and he wrote others in different imprisonments. And while he's in prison, what happens is he witnesses to the Roman soldiers and they come to faith. He, he tells the story, the good news, to some people who were actually in the emperor's household, servants and even then family members, and they came to faith. And Christianity was sown and flourished in Rome in large part because of the imprisonment of Paul. Now Paul knew his efforts would be in vain if God didn't prepare people to hear and enable them to respond to the good news. Only God's spirit could confirm within people the truth of what Paul would tell them. That's, that's supernatural revelation. See, humanly, if you're persuasive, you can convince some people to agree with your argument. And some people maybe even sincerely would accept the facts of the good news. That's not the same as the Spirit of God convicting you of sin, convincing you of truth, and overwhelming your identity. That's salvation. You can do something humanly that's sincere. It doesn't stick. It doesn't stick. But when the Spirit of God explodes into your life, it changes your identity. You follow me here? It becomes who you are. You can't walk away from that. I know a little bit about your life. None of it's deniable. Where you came from. I've met your mama. I know who your mama is. I know where you came from. I know who you fell in love with. None of that's deniable. Because it's your identity. Fall in love with Jesus Christ. The same thing. It's who you are. You're not walking away from that. The mystery he's talking about, and he also refers to it in Colossians 1, verses 26 and 27, refers to something that was hidden in the Old Testament and revealed in the New. And in particular, it includes the life, death, resurrection of Jesus as as being atonement for the sins. Now, here's a real surprise. Not only the sins of Jews, also the sins of Gentiles. 
And that mystery got him in a lot of trouble with Jews. See, the Romans arrested him, but they arrested him because the Jews were in revolt over what he was teaching. And it led to his imprisonment. They accused him of taking a Gentile into the outer court of the temple. We don't know if that happened or not. They just wanted to put him away, shut him up, lock him down. Sounds a little like our culture, doesn't it? Close this message off. Verse 4. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I ought. See, he's, he's asking the Colossians to pray that God will enable him to communicate the good news clearly in an effective way so people can understand. Well, wait a minute, Perry. You just said it isn't from our argument. It's from Revelation. It's both. We're the messengers that take the message. And God's Spirit ignites it. Yeah, remember when you were ignited? I doubt it was the first time you heard the gospel. But the Spirit of God just changed you. Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. See, Paul knew that, that coming to faith was a work of the Spirit of God. So he prayed and he asked others to pray as well. Do you believe that? Well, who are you praying for? Every one of us ought to have always at least one we're praying for, if not a list. We take the message, God illuminates the heart. But he uses both. This new speech of a saved person also includes telling good news. Okay, now, any, now I don't want any spiritual answers here. Anybody receive good news this week? I don't want God in the Bible. That's not what I want. Did anybody get good news this week? What? What'd you get? Okay, I didn't hear it, but. Oh, you got some, you got foster kids. Going to start fostering kids. Wonderful news. Did you tell anyone about it? Besides the few thousand friends in here? See, here's the thing. When we experience good news, like my wife's pregnant. Well, not my wife, but, but <laughs> may, you know, if your wife was pregnant, you know, that would be good news. If my wife was pregnant, that would be really supernatural news. But <laughs> the birth of a child, an engagement, making a good grade in a hard subject. The kids went back to school, getting the teacher your child really wanted. Making a team, securing a win in a, in a contest, recovery from an illness, a serious illness, winning a school election, those are coming up, getting a new job or a promotion. All of these things are good news, and a lot of these have happened to many of you. Well, what'd you do with it? Yes, you celebrated it inside. You told somebody, didn't you? You told somebody that loved you, that cared about you, that you cared about knowing it. Well, what is better news than becoming born again? Isn't that the most wonderful, the most exceptional, the most supernatural event a person can experience? Isn't it? Then why so quiet? 
See, through physical birth, we enter life. Through spiritual birth, we enter eternal life, which completely changes our existence on earth, and it secures our future in heaven. After we experience this new life, we're compelled to engage in new speech, telling the good news. See, that news is too good to keep bottled up, isn't it? So who are you telling? Who are you telling? I mean, do you believe in heaven and hell? Do you? Do y'all believe in hell? And I, I don't care if it's flames. and I, That's not even what, It's eternal separation from God at the very least. At the very least. Is there anybody you care about enough to help them escape that? If you had the cure for cancer, wouldn't you pass it out? So who are you telling? And that's evangelism. Evangelism means to bring a message, to announce good news. And here's the essentials of evangelism. The first one is conduct. That's your conduct. Verse 5, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. See, who we are and how we live gives credibility to what we say. Now, living wisely means properly evaluating circumstances and responding appropriately. For Christians, it means responding to situations in a Christ-like but also biblically correct way. That's wisdom. Are we reacting to situations like that? See, as Christians, we must live lives that are consistent with the Bible's teaching. That is, if we want to be believable when we share good news. Does the way you live make the message about Jesus believable? Particularly friends, classmates, co-workers. And then making the most of every opportunity does mean sensing when the Spirit is at work. See, we can rely on the Spirit to prepare someone to hear. And, and one way you know it is not when you say something, they come back for more. If they just shut you down, the Spirit's not working there yet. Keep praying. But when you say a little bit, they'll come back for some clarification, for some more. Because the Spirit is enabling them to hear and respond. Well, then you're saying this is not completely in my control. Is exactly what I'm saying. So you do what you can and you pray for what you can't. Because He can. Are you praying for opportunities right now? We ought to be praying for opportunities. I mean, the only thing that's going to heal our culture is Jesus Christ. I mean, let's look at it. We're so far apart on whether it be homosexual practice, abortion. We're so far apart. Nothing is going to bring those sides together except the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how much do you care? It's shown in how much you pray. And are you praying for a particular person? Cry out. Try to convince God. God, you need to be interested in this one right here. That's okay. Another essential of evangelism is communication, the way we communicate. Verse 6, 
Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Literally, it's seasoned with salt, but attractive is a good translation. Um, And this aspect deals with the words you use and the tone you use when you're speaking generally, yes, but especially when you're sharing good news. I mean, here's the point. If you're mean all the time, nobody wants to hear any kind of news from you. So we speak graciously, savored with salt, wisely, gently. Angry evangelism doesn't honor God. If we become anxious and then we become irritated when someone resists, it really means that we're not confident in the truthfulness of our message. Because truth can always be spoken softly. Because the impact and the weight of it has nothing to do with volume. Because when it's spiritually said and the Spirit empowers it, it cuts far deeper than your argument could ever go. The Holy Spirit convinces. The Holy Spirit convicts. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 15, if you want to study on that. Not the cleverness or the forcefulness of my communication or yours. See, here's the point. You know what? I mean, y'all know I'm a lawyer. I can argue folks into a lot of things. But if they believe based on my argument, how am I going to certify their salvation to God? We're saved by the Holy Spirit given birth. We can't argue people into eternity. And so we always speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4, 15, knowing that it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance, not the fear of God. Romans 2, verse 4. So we speak of Christ in a Christ-like way and we display Christ-like character and we communicate gently and respectfully. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. So what does your communication of the gospel say about your relationship with Jesus Christ? The third essential, the last essential in this passage, is the content. So that you will have the right response for everyone. Does the thought of telling someone the good news make you nervous? Come on, get them up. Let me see. Have have the courage to tell me you're scared. The thought of telling the good news, does it make you scared? Does it make you nervous? Let me see them. Come on, get them up, get them up. That's okay. That's okay. Because at least acknowledging that has you a step forward. Because otherwise you'll just be quiet. But it won't be out of wisdom. It'll be out of fear. Remember that God prepares the hearer and the speaker. And saving people is God's work. Our work is just to deliver the message. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. That's what Mark 13, 11 says. That's what Luke 12, 11 and 12 says. And he will supply the power, the courage, the strength you need so you won't be afraid. Anybody want a piece of that? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. If you want to witness to somebody, if you want to tell your story, if you want to be able to share and you need some strength, you need some power, I want you to stand up and I'm going to pray a blessing on you from Acts 1.8. You've got a promise. Just stand up. You don't have to all stand up. I want somebody that you, you, if you stand up, that means 
You're telling me I'm praying for somebody and I'm ready. I'm ready to be dispatched. Okay. But you have received power when the Holy Spirit came on you. If you're born again, it's already planted in there. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Greenville, throughout South Carolina, in Simpsonville, and to the ends of the earth which is Green Pond or Hickory Tavern (laughs) and throw in Possum Kingdom. You've been equipped. You've been empowered. The words will be supplied when they're necessary. You ready to exercise new speech? Then continually pray and constantly seek an opportunity to tell some really good news to people God's prepared to hear. Now, I want to challenge you. We pray, we pray every Sunday at 8.15, but next week's the first Sunday, and so some of you can't come often. I say come on the first Sunday. Folks, our nation is in, not, is in a bad place, and we're not going to argue ourselves into a healthier place, but we can pray it through. And I'm asking you, come next week, pray. Let's cry out on God, one, to save people in our midst, to save people in our country, to save people in our culture, to lead people to His truth. I want you to seriously consider praying this first Sunday, which is next Sunday. Counselors, you come to the front. Counselors will be here to talk with you, to pray with you. They'll anoint you with oil for healing. Father, Guide us. Show us who you're speaking to so we can follow you with the message of grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways you can connect with other Christians here, or if you just have any questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.